don't want that. <laughs> We on the timer? I think we're good. We're ready to go? Let's all stand tonight. Turn to page number 863 in your songbooks if you want. Should be up on the screen. We got a rookie back there running the uh, the uh, computer tonight, so we'll see we'll see how it goes. Here we go. It's like a family reunion tonight. Got all the Lunos here, man. It's awesome. There will never be a sweeter story. Story of the Savior's love divine. Amen. Sing it out. Welcome to our service tonight. Glad to see each and every one of you here. It's great to have the Lunos back with us, and uh, it was a, just a blessing to see them, and it's a blessing to see all of you. Uh, we, of course, missed being here the last uh, couple services, and uh, we're glad to be back and uh, with our church family, and so we've missed you, um, and uh, the absence definitely made the heart grow fonder in our, in our case, and uh, I'm glad to see each and every one of you here tonight. Thank you for being faithful. And uh, looking forward to this service tonight uh, as we hear from one of our uh, prospective missionaries. And uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll continue our service tonight. Lord, we do thank you for the love of God. And it is indeed wonderful to us uh, to think that you loved us even when we were your enemies, even when we were wicked sinners. You loved us 
not because we were lovable, but because you are so loving. And uh, we're grateful for that love and how you displayed it on the cross of Calvary. Uh, We'll forever be grateful for that. And uh, Lord, we're also thankful for the opportunity to meet together tonight. And uh, we ask that you would mightily bless this time. I pray, Lord, that it would be profitable for eternity in each of our hearts and lives, and that you would draw us closer to you and to each other as a result of being in your house tonight. We pray for our uh, preacher that will be uh, bringing the message here in just a few minutes, Lord, that you would empower him, you would hide him behind the cross, and Lord, give him the words to say, and help us, Lord, to have listening ears and an open heart to what you have for us. We pray all these things in Christ's precious name. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to continue on with our service like we normally do with, uh, did everybody get a bulletin tonight? If you did not get a bulletin, would you just lift your hand? We'll make sure you get one. Oh, we have one up here. You're the only one. Oh, who's dad are you? Who's your dad? I want to talk to him. Uh, that's me. Okay. Um, but uh, on the back of the bulletin tonight is our monthly memory verse, and so we're, we're memorizing two verses this month as a church family, Isaiah 26, 3 through 4. Uh, does anybody have it memorized and would like to quote it tonight? Imagine all of you got to do that on Sunday uh, when I wasn't here. I imagine everybody had the opportunity to do that. Uh, but seriously, does anybody want to quote that tonight? All right. Everybody wants to quote it together, I see. Uh, Let's go ahead and do that. Uh, Then together, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, here we go, ready, begin. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4. And uh, that is where our mind needs to be. Um, I know that it's a crazy time in our world today and in our nation, um, but uh, we need to keep our minds focused on the Lord during this time. And then as we do, He promises to keep us in perfect peace. That's a tremendous promise from God's Word. Well, I want to talk about a couple upcoming events. Uh, First of all, tomorrow night uh, we will be having our missions committee meeting at 6.30 over in our conference room. And so for those involved in that, just a reminder, 6.30 tomorrow night, uh, Missions Committee. And then uh, this coming Sunday night, uh, Brother Jacob uh, Morant will be uh, preaching tonight, or next or this coming Sunday night, and uh, looking forward to hearing the message that the Lord's given him. He's kind of shared a little bit with me about what, what God's kind of leading him to share with our church family, and I think it's going to be excellent and a very important message for all of us to hear So uh, Sunday night, please plan to be back for that. Uh, This Sunday morning, uh, I'll be preaching and continuing our new series that we started just a little bit ago, Fruit of the Spirit, and we'll be looking at peace, the third aspect of the Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, that's something that all of us are kind of looking for and needing during this time in our nation's history, uh, peace. And uh, we'll be talking about that. And then uh, also we'll be having a, just a brief church business meeting uh, on Sunday night as well after the message just to uh, vote on uh, Brother Scott being uh, the church financial secretary. Um, so just a reminder on that. Back to school Sunday, August 30th. Um, that's for the children. Uh, all the children are uh, looking to get a little gift from our church and then also uh, we'll be... Uh, giving away one backpack to a boy and one backpack to a girl. Uh, we'll be drawing names that, uh, that Sunday, and uh, that'll be a fun thing to give those away. And then also on the 30th, we'll be having our fifth Sunday fellowship. We haven't had one since a long time ago. Uh, it seems like forever ago when we had our last fifth Sunday fellowship, but we're going to be doing that uh, on August 30th, and uh, the teens will be serving. It'll be uh, with masks and gloves and all of that. And uh, Brother Blake and Miss Kaylin are heading that up, although they're gone and enjoying their time in the Dominican Republican Republic. There we go. Not the Republican. Okay, my mind's on something else. Okay, um, could tell where my mind is, but uh, they're definitely not at the Dominican Democrat. Ick. Okay, uh, they're definitely not there. But 
they uh, sent me a picture, and it's a beautiful location, and uh, I'm very jealous, but I'm glad that they get to be there and enjoy that time. Um, and then you can kind of see some things uh, happening in September uh, coming up. Uh, one thing that's not on the announcements, but uh, we have just decided to do this. It's not on here, but September 2nd, it's a Wednesday night, two weeks from tonight. Uh, we started this back at the beginning of the year, a win first Wednesday night of the month, men's Bible study and ladies' Bible study, we split for that service, and uh, we're going to start that back up on September 2nd, so two weeks from tonight. This Sunday, we'll give you a, uh, an announcement on what chapters to be reading in preparation for that in the books we have been giving you, and if you haven't received a book or maybe don't know where that book is, uh, we have some extras that we can uh, give out. Uh, starting this Sunday and next Wednesday and the Sunday after that, okay? Um, so those are the announcements I wanted to make uh, real quickly tonight. Um, let's just take a quick minute um, to look in the inside here uh, under any prayer requests and uh, just kind of take a minute to update these and have a very brief uh, time of prayer. We want to make sure we give our missionary plenty of time tonight, uh, but at the same time, we don't want to neglect uh, praying for the needs of our church family. Um, do we have any updates? Well, I guess uh, under the health needs uh, on the right-hand side, David, Nikki, and Kenzie, looks like you guys have recovered from COVID, and praise the Lord for that. And uh, for Erin not to get it. Erin's here tonight, so she hasn't gotten it. So uh, that's, a, that's a real answer to prayer, and we have been praying for you as a family and as a church family, and so we're glad that uh, you guys are here and uh, over, over that. Um, any other uh, any other updates? The ones listed here tonight. Uh, Lonnie McMillan. Yes. Uh, he had a surgery. Um, didn't go very well. Okay. Um, so just continue to remember him in prayer. Uh, then he'll get healed up. That leg will get healed up because they weren't able to do everything that they wanted to. Okay. But he's back at home. Uh, a little discouraged. They're even talking about uh, taking that leg off. So. Okay. So Lonnie, uh, we want to remember him in prayer uh, on that. There was another hand up over here. Yes, Miss Tammy. Uh, my dad very well. Oh, good. <clears throat> okay, so Tammy Crawford's dad is doing a lot better, and uh, we praise the Lord for that. <coughs> Any others tonight? Yes, ma'am, it's Vicki. Oh, yes, she did. Okay, unspoken for the Brant family. All right, any others tonight? Any other updates or news? Oh, yes, sir, with a check. Yeah. Just pray that you know God's will be done up there. Protect the firefighters and those guys. And just God's will be done. I mean, Amen. Ready to evacuate if need be. So. Um, and I know that in California, there's uh, some bad fires there in California. All right. Uh, yes, sir, brother Gary. Amen. Yep. I texted him today and uh, I think he blocked my number, but uh, no, <laughs> it's possible, but I don't think so. Um, he's probably working or sleeping or something, but uh, yeah, I miss them already, but I'm glad they're in there and settled. Yes, ma'am. Yes.
So we want to pray for Jerry Price and his heart um, heart issue that he's going through right now, that they can deal with it through medication. Good. Any others tonight? All right, well, let's take a quick moment for prayer, and then after this, we'll have our next song, and then we'll uh, introduce our uh, guest speaker tonight. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for who you are, for being a good and gracious God. And uh, Lord, thank you for being all-powerful and being able to hear all of our prayers and not only delighting to hear in our prayers, but delighting to answer our prayers and to do something about them. We're not just talking to someone who doesn't have ears to hear, but we're talking to someone who can do great things, great and mighty things. And so we pray that you would in these uh, particular prayer requests. Lord, I do pray for uh, Lonnie as he is kind of recovering from this accident. And Lord, I pray that you would most of all, uh, Lord, I do pray for his leg, but most of all, I pray for his relationship with you during this time. And Lord, that uh, you would get his attention and that his heart would be turned towards you during this. And uh, Lord, that you would, uh, that he would make some real good changes and choices uh, as a result of this accident. I do pray, Lord, that his leg would be saved and that he would not have to have that removed and that his leg would heal. And uh, I pray, Lord, for wisdom for the doctors and uh, for your will to be accomplished in his life beyond the leg. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, Tammy's dad doing better, and we give you praise for that. Um, I do pray, Lord, for uh, the Barants' unspoken request. And Lord, I pray also for... um, Uh, Mark and his family there in uh, Colorado as they deal with the fire situation, I pray, Lord, your will would be accomplished there and that their house would be okay and that, Lord, they would get those fires out very soon. And for also the fires in California, I pray for all the firemen there that you would grant them strength and endurance as they uh, work very long hours. And I just pray, Lord, you'd keep them safe and that uh, no one would be seriously injured in these fires, and that you would help them to put them out very quickly. Um, I pray, Lord, for Jed and Lana and Bowen, Lord, as they're in Arkansas, and they're starting the new chapter of their life. I pray that you would just bless them. I pray that they would make friends very quickly there, and that they would uh, just get involved in their church, and that church family would take to them like we have here. And uh, I ask that you would just mightily bless them in this next stage. I pray, Lord, for uh, Jerry Price as he has his heart issues. Lord, I pray that you would grant the doctors wisdom and that the medication would be able to control the situation there. Um, I just pray that uh, you would uh, have your will accomplished in their lives and in the medical issue that they're going through. Uh, And Lord, now we pray that you would just continue to bless this service and uh, draw us closer to you. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you would perhaps even tonight call one of our young people, call somebody from this church to the mission field uh, to go and serve you full time with their life. What a privilege and what a wonderful blessing that would be. Uh, We just pray, Lord, that uh, again, you would have your will accomplished in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's all stand together, and we're going to sing Send the Light. The words will be on the screen, or 656 in your hymnal. Send the Light. We'll sing the first and the last verse of this tonight. There's a call covering.
That's what we want to talk about tonight is sending the light out into this dark world. And by the way, you and I who are believers are called to be that light. And uh, perhaps maybe God would want to send you as the light of this world to the darkness. And I'm thankful for a couple that is willing to do just that, to go to a pretty dark city, New York City. Um, what you know about New York City, uh, it's a big, big city, of course. How many have been to New York City? Raise your hand. Uh, several hands. Um, it's a dark area, and it needs the light. And I'm thankful for these two lights that are willing to be sent to go uh, tell the gospel and to preach the gospel. And so uh, we had the privilege of going out to dinner with them uh, this this evening and uh, really enjoyed getting to know them. He is an Atlanta Braves fan, uh, so uh, that is a kind of a deal breaker. Uh, no, I uh, just enjoyed getting to visit with them and get to know them a little bit, and I'm excited to hear from him. And so he's. we're going to actually go first to the video, and then after the video, Brother John uh, Canavan is going to come and uh, kind of present his ministry a little bit more and explain kind of where they're at with their ministry and uh, deputation and all of that. And then uh, he'll take some time for some questions. So uh, he said, what if there are no questions? And I said, there'll be questions. So don't leave me hanging on that, okay? Um, all right. So we'll go ahead and uh, show that video and then uh, Brother John will come after that and uh, take the rest of the service. When you think of New York City, what comes to mind? Do you think of the Statue of Liberty? Times Square? The World Trade Center? Do you think of Central Park? The Brooklyn Bridge? Or September 11, 2001? New York City is the most visited tourist city in America, with over 50 million people visiting annually. Because of this, we tend to forget that over 8.6 million people call New York City home. The people in New York City come from diverse backgrounds, ethnicities, and cultures. But all of them have one common need, the most pressing need known to man, the need for a savior. My name is John Canavan, and my wife Amber and I are church planting missionaries to New York City. I was saved at an early age, but I didn't truly surrender my life to God until I was 23 years old. In 2009, God called me to preach. After that, I began Bible college. During my summers in Bible college, I had the privilege of serving in New York City. It was during this time, after seeing millions and millions of people wandering around, lost, with no hope of the gospel, that God burdened my heart to see more churches started. My junior year of college, God called me to New York City to plant churches. While I was in college, I met my beautiful wife, Amber. I was raised in a godly Christian family in Oklahoma. I made a profession of faith as a young child, but I didn't get saved until I was 10. Shortly after I accepted Christ, I surrendered my life to God during a missions conference. I never thought I would enjoy the big city, but after living there, God gave me a love for it. We are very excited to get back to New York City and to see multiple churches planted. God has brought the world to New York City. About 40% of the people living in New York City were born outside the United States. We are reaching those who may have never heard the gospel preached before. We are sent out of Vision Baptist Church with the assistance of Vision Baptist Missions. Please pray with us as we prepare to follow God's call upon our lives to preach the gospel and plant churches throughout New York City. Please consider partnering with us to reach this very needy area. Our goal is to win souls, disciple and train converts, 
and build thriving churches with a love for the Lord. Brooklyn, New York. He was born to a family of immigrants. His parents were born overseas in, the, in Ireland, and they migrated to New York City. And he was born in New York City. And he started to go to church, and he was very religious growing up, but he never accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. You see, he thought as long as he did good works, as long as he didn't commit a mortal sin, he could go to heaven when he died, not knowing that salvation was by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Well, this little boy was raised in New York City. He grew up believing that, and no one knocked on his door, no one knocked on his parents' door and and told him how he could know for sure that heaven would be his home. Well, fast forward a few years, he gets married, and in 1943, he welcomes his first son into the world. His son was born in New York City, and he started to follow in his father's footsteps. He went to Mass, and he was very religious, and he was very um, devout in religion, but he had no relationship with Jesus Christ. No one ever told him how to know for sure that heaven will be his home. Well, he ends up getting growing up in New York City and working, and he gets married in 1965. And the woman he marries actually has a very similar background. Her parents were born and raised in Ireland, and they came over to New York City, and they met in New York City, got married, and, and that's how her parents were. So now we have two families here that are lost. No one shared the gospel with them. And they ended up getting married, Peter and Johanna. They started their family in New York City. They had four children. And then they decided to move to Florida. They had two more children and moved to Georgia and had four more children. Meanwhile, this is the third generation now that no one has told them about Jesus Christ in New York City. No one told them how they could know for sure that heaven would be their home. Well, as their family is starting to erode and sin is having its way in their family, their second to oldest son, their three oldest boys were in the Marine Corps, their second to oldest son was stationed in Okinawa, Japan. A missionary had gone before and started a church in Okinawa, and through the influence of that church, a personal soul winner won their second-to-oldest son to the Lord. And as he came back, he was on fire for God, and he was able to influence a lot of his family towards Jesus Christ. And you might be asking, what's the significance of this story? This is the story of my family. See, my parents and my grandparents were born and raised in New York City. My older siblings were born in New York City. And no one told them about Jesus Christ. No one told them how they could know for sure that heaven would be their home. Generation after generation after generation was lost. But one person shared the gospel with my brother, and it radically changed our family. See, I'm the youngest of 10 children, and I grew up in a completely different household than my older brothers and sisters, all because of the truth of the gospel. And you know, there's 8.6 million people in New York City that have very similar stories, There are 8.6 million souls that are waiting for somebody to take the gospel to them. You know, I think back on how my family has just transformed, and my brother that originally got saved is actually a missionary in Ireland. I have another brother who's a missionary in India. We're going to New York City, and another brother's on staff at a church in Georgia. And to see all that God has done in this this generation, and now to see my nieces and nephews serving serving the Lord, all because of one person sharing the gospel. You never know who you might lead to the Lord. You never know the ramifications that that might have for an entire generation and a family. And so that's why we're going to New York City. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Like Pastor said, I was a Braves fan. So I didn't really care for New York growing up. My parents left there. They didn't talk about it. And I didn't like the Yankees because the rivalry in the 90s. And so I didn't really know much about it. But there was the opportunity to uh, to go to New York City and, and serve there for a summer while I was in college. And I'll never forget, I drove from... Los Angeles County, all the way to New York City in my car. And I'll never forget when I got into the city, it was just overwhelming. If you've ever been there before, you know what I'm talking about. As soon as you pull in, you see all of those buildings and you see all of those people and it just encompasses you. I go to some smaller towns and I tell people I'm from Atlanta and they're like, oh, you're from a big city. I'm like, that's nothing compared to New York City. I mean, you think about one of the boroughs has more people than twice as many people as Atlanta. But um, it's just, it's incredible to see the the need that's in the city. Well, the ministry we worked with, we were sharing the gospel to Jewish people. I'll never forget, uh, we were were in these neighborhoods, and people always told me that New York City was a melting pot. But to be honest with you, it's more like a salad bowl. I know that might sound kind of funny, but it's so segregated. We would go into neighborhoods, and there would be a highly concentrated Jewish neighborhood. There's more Jews living in New York City than any other city in the world, more than Jerusalem, more than Tel Aviv, and so we went into this neighborhood, and there's Hebrew in all the, the street fronts, and we would go and we would knock doors and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget, I knocked on a door, and a, a rabbi answered the door. And he said, what do you want? 
And I said, well, I'm here to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. When I say that to you, you know that Jesus Christ is Lord. When I said that to him, it was the most blasphemous thing anyone's ever knocked on his door and told him. And so he told me what he thought about Jesus. And he was, he was really mad and he was really angry. But uh, he, started, he asked me a question that I'll never forget. He said, why do you proselytize? It says nowhere to proselytize. Why are you doing this? Why are you here? And he was mad. And he, was, he was livid. He was coming at me. I don't know what it was. Maybe the Holy Spirit just came over me. And I just said, well, let me ask you a question first. I said, how many people do you see on a daily basis? You see 10,000 maybe, 100,000. Maybe you might walk through some crowded areas, see a million people. I said, what do you think happens to them when they die? Well, instantly he went from rage and anger, and I could just see the countenance on his face drop. And he got very somber, and he said, well, I believe as long as uh, we follow the, someone follows the Mishnah, and, then, and they do this, and they do that, and they do these different things, essentially, then they can go to heaven. And I said, so you mean to tell me you see all of these people every single day, and you have no compulsion to tell them what you believe? And what he said next really convicted me. Because what he said next is, Christians, we've adopted the same ideology. He said, I believe as long as I live a good life, as long as I'm a good person, as long as I do things the right way, people will come and they will ask me what I believe, and then I'll share it with him. But we know the Bible tells us that we are to go and that we are to preach to every creature, that we are to share the gospel with everyone. And when he said that that day, it started to, to, to wear on my mind. I started to meditate and just think about how, how that mentality of sometimes we think that lifestyle evangelism is, is, is enough. And I think it's definitely needed, but it's not what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is to go and to win souls for Jesus Christ. Well, needless to say, in these, these, uh, these neighborhoods that were Jewish, we couldn't get a nice slice of pepperoni. They were all kosher pizzerias, so we had to go to different places to get that. But we would go through these different neighborhoods, and I would just start to look for churches that were preaching the gospel. And as we would go in these neighborhoods, we would try to see any churches that maybe if we ran into a Gentile, that we could uh, lead to a church. And it was hard. It was hard to find churches like ours that, that, would, that would preach the gospel that were staying true to the word of God. Well, fast forward a few years. My wife and I would get married. We move up there for a little, about six weeks. Um, God just worked it out that we would come back, and, and we did. But um, during that time, God just started to burden our hearts for the city even more. And we started praying about which borough we would go to. You know, uh, Brooklyn by itself would be the fourth largest city in the country. 2.6 million people in Brooklyn, 2.4 million in Queens, uh, over a million in Manhattan, 1.5 million in the Bronx, and a half a million in, excuse me, in uh, Staten Island. And you just think about all of those people. Well, God started to lead us to the Bronx. And last summer we were up there, my wife and I, and we were driving around, and we've passed this area called Co-op City. This area has 45,000 people living in less than one square mile. Just let that sink in for a second. 45,000 people in less than one square mile. And it's a little bit of history of that. Uh, Co-op City actually used to be a dump. Uh, in the 70s, they paved over, and I was actually in a church a few weeks ago, and I was talking to this guy and after the service, and he's like, I'm from New York. I know Co-op City. I've been there. And I was like, oh, have you, you know it used to be a dump. And he goes, it's not anymore? <laughs> and I said, no, it used to be a city dump. But, but um, it, it was just, it's, it's, a, it's a definitely a needy area. And we would just drive through there, and we saw all these buildings, and just looking for anyone preaching the truth of the gospel. There's a couple charismatic churches around, but nothing really ministering to that community. And that's an area that we're praying about starting a church. But we want to start multiple churches throughout the city. You know, if you think about New York, remember 9-11. Remember where you were when 9-11 happened? We were, at the, the, we were talking with Pastor earlier about the 9-11 memorial. And my wife and I were there one time, and there was a woman that had a rose stuck in a name. And it, as, she, as this rose was stuck in the name of someone that she lost on 9-11, tears were just pouring down her face. She was sobbing and crying as she rubbed that name over and over and over again of someone that she lost on September 11th. And as she was, she was crying and we were just noticing it from a distance, I couldn't help but wonder, of the almost 3,000 people that died on September 11th, how many of them heard the truth of the gospel? How many of them accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior? You know, we would minister all over the city, and I had the privilege of driving in the city. But I remember when we, I went from Queens back to Brooklyn, I'd get on this Cusico Bridge. That's how I pronounce it. I don't, it might be something different. But I remember getting on this bridge, and in New York, you're always in traffic. 
But I remember looking over when you're sitting on the bridge, and I saw the biggest cemetery I'd ever seen, just tombstones for miles. I've seen, not miles, tombstone for all, as far as I could see. And then just over that, you see the New York City skyline. And I just remember thinking about all of those lives where it's too late, and then you lift your eyes up a little bit, and you see all of the potential that New York City has. You know, the Bible tells us that the fields are white and ready to be harvested. We're going to learn a little bit about that more tonight. But you, may, you just see of all the potential, but there's just such a need for more churches. We were riding the subway, and uh, we're, it was pretty crowded. And my wife was uh, witnessing to this woman that had green, lime green lipstick. And if you've ever seen lime green lipstick, it's not something you see every day, so it kind of sticks out. Well, as she's witnessing to her, she's going through a gospel tract, and she's explaining that, that church membership isn't going to get you to heaven and how it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And it doesn't matter what you do, it's your relationship with Jesus. And I remember the piercing words that she said as my wife said that. She said, no, 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 no. I've lived here for 20 years. I go to church all the time, and no one has ever told me what you just said. How sad is that? Someone could go to church all of these years and never place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Well, as God was working in our hearts, and we began to look over the different neighborhoods. You know, there's 200 different neighborhoods in New York City, having populations from 10 to 20,000 people in a single neighborhood. You might have heard of some of them, Little Italy, Chinatown, Times Square, there's a Hell's Kitchen, all these are in, in Manhattan. But there's 200 of those neighborhoods, all of them needing a gospel-preaching church. I heard it said, someone said this once. They said if there were 1,000 churches started tomorrow and all of those churches all were running 1,000 people, it would barely be over 10% of New York City reached with the gospel. So there's a huge need for more churches to be planted. And so our desire is to go there and to uh, see multiple churches planted, start the first church and train some, some men up for ministry and then start more churches throughout the city. And so I'd ask that you please pray with us as, uh, as we endeavor to do that. This time I'll take some questions. Not everybody at once. <laughs> yes, sir. So I, of the, the statistics, they, they say Christian. I, I would say of that, I, the, the dominant would be that. But um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's extremely dominant. Many people would say that, but as many that would be practicing, I don't, I don't think there's a lot. Um, depending on the neighborhood, too, definitely. Do you face a lot of harassment on the streets? Um, not too much. It depends on the neighborhood, again. The, the neighborhood in Brooklyn that we were at, they were very hostile. They were, it's the neighborhood that de Blasio is from and Chuck Schumer. And so they definitely did not like the gospel. And they were actually more mean than some of the Jewish people were. But then, and then you go to different neighborhoods, it's a completely different response. I have a friend that's in the, an area of the Bronx right now, and he said he's had two doors slammed on his face in 10 years. So it all depends on the area. Yes, sir. Is there a, a so we have a few friends in the city uh, that have different churches, but we're going to start a, a, a ch our own church up there. Yes, sir. Okay, so we got started last January, so we're about 20 months in, and we are almost at 50%. Yeah. And we're we were praying by the end of this year to have our support raised, but then COVID hit. So we're thinking maybe the beginning of spring, that that's our, our new goal, or the end of spring, beginning of summer, to move up there. That's our goal. But please pray with that. God would have us to come in. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Uh, have you targeted a particular neighborhood, and can you tell us what are the characteristics about that neighborhood? So Co-op City is one of the neighborhoods that we're, we're looking at that we're, we feel like God's leading towards. Um, and that's about 40% African-American, 40% Hispanic, and then 10% other, and 10% white is the demographics of that, that particular neighborhood. And that's pretty common for the Bronx in general. Uh, it's crazy expensive, <laughs> but Lord willing, it's people are leaving, so it'll go down. But it, it's still very expensive. Yeah. Uh, I, for instance, the, the rule of thumb that I was told is, uh, 
one bedroom apartment's about $1,500 a month, then every room is about $1,000. And that, that's an average that's taken Manhattan and other, the Bronx isn't as expensive as that, but it's still expensive. Yeah, I think that they just started meeting recently, um, but they had been online for a long time. Yeah, and there are a lot of people, uh, my friend that's in the Bronx, he said he has a few church members that lost people from COVID and different uh, that family members from COVID. And so it definitely hit close to home. And he said when they were rioting that their, their storefront, they actually bring metal over the, door, over the windows. Um, but he said that they got real close to his church, and so he was kind of nervous about it for a little while. So we're praying to, to rent a storefront, um, just have like a one-room storefront to start out with, but um, have something that we could have 24-7 access to. That's our desire, but we'll, however God leads is, is what we want, but that's what we're trying to, to get. All right, any more questions? All right, if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse number 35. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Um, in this passage, Jesus is basically, he's going through, and it's a, in the early part of his ministry. He just performed quite a few different miracles. And as he is going through this, excuse me, I, I realized as I was walking in that I forgot my allergy medicine. <laughs> so I feel like it's coming down a little bit, but well, I apologize. Um, but as he's going in this, it's the early part of his ministry, and at the beginning of this chapter, there were people that were eager to get a glimpse of Jesus. You know, he, he goes through, and as the chapter opens, he calls Matthew the tax collector to follow him. Then he is approached by the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, whose daughter was dying, and as he's going to his house, the woman with the issue of blood comes up to him and has that need. She touches his clothes, instantly she's healed, and then Jairus' daughter is dead, and and Jesus comforts him and goes to his house and raises his daughter from the dead. And he's continually doing all of these different miracles. And he heals the, 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 lame, the, the dumb man in verse number 27. It says, when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And, and Jesus healed those two blind men. And then directly after that, he heals the, the dumb man uh, that can't speak. And Jesus casts out the devil from him. And in verse number 32, as they went out, and behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But then verse 34, it says, But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils to the prince of the devils. You know, as we come into this passage, the first thing I want to take a look at is the ministry modeled by Jesus. You know, sometimes when we start to minister to people, someone might say something against us that's kind of offensive or Someone might say something critical of us, and it, it kind of discourages us. Have you ever been there before? You, maybe you were helping somebody, and then they turned around, and they said something bad about you. And I think about this. I think about how Jesus had performed all of these miracles, and I, and I see how the, the Pharisees said the most vile thing they could say about Jesus. He just performed this, this wonderful miracle in, in healing this man, and instantly they said that he did it through the prince of the devils. Can you imagine the atrocity in their time that they would say that? They would basically... We're saying that he was like a devil. But you know what? Jesus then went about all the cities and villages, and he was teaching them, he was preaching, and he was healing. He continued to minister. You know, in our lives, if someone says that against us, we might get a little more offensive, offended. We might let it, let it offend us. We might just stop ministering altogether. But I want to see Jesus and how he models this, how he, he didn't let it stop him. You know, I, like I said earlier, I like baseball, and I remember playing baseball growing up, and you know, if you're in the game and you're in the batting order, you're kind of focused on what's going on, when you're going to get up to the plate, when you're on deck, and when you're in the hole, and you're getting ready to bat. And, you know, it's pretty exciting when you're playing. 
But when you're riding the bench, it's not so exciting. You know, you're kind of eating sunflower seeds, not really paying attention. Oh, we scored. Woohoo! You know, you're not really in the game. But you know what? When you get up to the bat, when you're sitting there in the batter's box and you're about, the pitcher's about ready to pitch, you're in the game, you're excited, and you can't wait to, for that pitch to come. You know, sometimes that happens in ministry. Sometimes we get out of ministry, and it's almost as if we're sitting on the bench. You know, we're not necessarily serving like we used to, and we used to be faithful and go out uh, on, on visitation, and we used to be faithful, and we would do all of these, these things, and God was blessing, and we saw God moving, and we saw people get saved, and we were ministering, but sometimes we just kind of get out of the, the, the rigmarole, if you will. We get out of the serving. Someone might have said something to us. Someone might have done something. We, we just we kind of sit on the bench and you know, some, some of us, we, just, we need to follow Jesus' example, and we need to get back in. We need to let the ministry continue to motivate us to do more ministry. You know, if you get back in the swing of things, and maybe you haven't been out in visitation in a while, and you actually go out, and it's exciting. You see someone trust Christ, or you're able to lead someone through the gospel. It's exciting, and you want to do more ministry. Or if you start teaching a Sunday school class, and you, God starts to work in your heart on messages, and it's exciting to continue to minister. But I wonder, are we following Jesus' example here? Are we, in, are we on the sidelines? Are we, are we letting something offend us that we don't serve? Or are we serving? Are we using that, that model, that Jesus, uh, minist- the ministry that Jesus modeled? It says he was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I can only imagine how tiring that might be. I can only imagine how he would go into their, their houses of worship and would, would teach and preach about the kingdom of God. And I can only imagine people would bring up to him people that needed to be healed and, and Jesus would heal them. And I can only imagine his response when he saw someone in need. He never, I, I've never seen the scripture that he questions what, why are they in that situation. I always see that Jesus meets that need in their life. And now just a, a, an example of that in our lives is when we see someone that might be asking for help. What's our natural response to that? I'll be honest. Sometimes my natural response is, why are you in that situation? What happened? What decisions did you make? If I help you, what are you going to do with that? You know, but Jesus always went and he reached after people and he showed the love of his love towards them and he healed them and he preached to them and he ministered to them. And I see that as Jesus did that, he, he had um, the, the ministry was continuing to go on and go forward. And I wonder in our lives, how are we going forward in ministry. Well, we see the ministry modeled by Jesus. Then we see the multitudes move Jesus. In verse 36, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus is doing all of this ministry. Then all of a sudden he sees a, a multitude of people. And as he sees that multitude of people, he's moved with compassion on them. And he compares them to sheep. And I think that's, if we were all to be honest, that would be the dumbest animal on the planet, would be sheep. If we had a sliding scale, it would probably be a dog. I'm just kidding. But it would be a smart animal up here, and it would go all the way down, and it would probably be a sheep at the bottom. Now, there's a, a story in the country of Turkey of two shepherds that were, had their flock, and they went on a lunch break. They had 1,500 sheep in their fold. And as they went on their lunch break, they let the sheep kind of go. They went to eat, and they came back, and... One of the sheep decided that there's a 60-foot cliff, and he said, that looks like fun, when he fell off the cliff and perished. They said all 1,499 other sheep said, where did he go? They all fell off the cliff. The first 600 died. The next 1,400 landed on a nice, soft, downy pillow, and it broke their fall. <laughs> but I, I show you that just to illustrate how dumb sheep are, how they're just prone to wander. The Bible tells us that... that um, that we all, we, all we like sheep have gone astray. And you, you see that the sheep are just prone to wander, and if they're left to themselves, they'll overeat. If they're by water, they might fall in and drown themselves. And the shepherd needs to be there to protect them. And Jesus looks at this multitude, and he says that they're like sheep with no shepherd. He sees the dangers and the toils that are coming around, and he compares them to sheep without a shepherd. And I think about 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And I go in New York City, and you walk down the streets, and you see how the devil has just devoured life after life after life. And you see people that are just in, in, in terrible situations, and, and you just see that the devil has had his way, and you start to question, well, how did this happen? And, you know, I often think that it's because there's not enough shepherds there. There's not enough people that are preaching the gospel. There's not enough people that are protecting them. 
You should count yourself privileged that you're in a church where you have a pastor that loves you. That as Jesus Christ is the great shepherd, you have an under-shepherd. And you have someone that prays for you and someone that cares for you. and Someone that opens God's word and that preaches the truth of the gospel. And wants to see you grow in your Christian walk. And you, you can read through Psalm 23 and you can see how the Lord is our shepherd. And, how we, and you, you could go through that whole psalm and you could see how comforting that is as a Christian. To have that relationship with God and to see how comforting that is as, as God protects us and God leads us and God directs us. But think about all of those countless billions around the world that don't have that comfort. They don't have a shepherd in their life. They don't have someone to, to, to help them, to lead them, to guide them, and they're all wandering. This is the picture I get about Jesus here. He sees them wandering, and then he's moved with compassion. And we often get compassion and pity confused, don't we? That word compassion, is, it, it means that we do something about it. It's not just something that we feel sorry for somebody because that's pity. I think the best illustration of this is in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember the, the, the Good Samaritan, the, the passage there, a man was traveling to Samaria or traveling. Let's just go there real quick. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. It says, and Jesus, I'll, I'll read it quickly. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and was stripped of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So this man was going on his way. They, they robbed him. They beat him. They, they stole his clothes. And he's half naked and he's half dead. And, and by chance there came by a certain priest. The religious of the day walked by and he sees this man who's just in pain. And he's half naked and he's in a very destitute situation. And, and he's just, I can only imagine he's probably moaning and crying. And, and he's in this situation. And this priest walks by, sees him, and probably had pity on him. But he walked by on the other side. In verse number 32, And likewise a Levite, another religious person in the time, when he was at that place, came and looked on him. And he passed by on the other side. In verse number 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, catch this, he had compassion on him. And he went to him. And he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave, it to the host, gave them to the host and said unto, the, said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. See, compassion means you get involved. Compassion is not pity. Compassion, you do something about it, and you get involved. If we were to have pity on the lost, we would just say, oh, I feel sorry for them. I wish somebody would go tell them. If we have compassion, we get involved and we tell them. It becomes our burden. Just as the multitudes was Jesus' burden, it should become our burden of the lost all around us. We should get involved. You know, at 3.20 in the morning on, on March 13, 1964, a woman named Kitty Genovese, some of you might remember this, this story, she was getting off work in Queens, New York City. She parked her car and she was walking towards her building. And as she was walking towards her building, a man came and he attacked her with a knife and he stabbed her. And all of a sudden, Kitty Genovese cried out for help. She said, somebody's attacked me. Somebody help. And all of a sudden, lights from her apartment building went on. The attacker was spooked and he ran away back to his car. Well, as she was attacked, she started to walk back towards her apartment. And she's, she's not walking fast, but she's going towards her, her apartment. Well, 10 minutes later, the guy comes back and he attacks her a second time. And as he attacks her that second time, she cries out for help again. She says, somebody, anybody, please help me. All of a sudden, someone opened up a window. They said, hey, get out of there. And the guy was spooked, and he went back to his car. Meanwhile, no one has called 911. Well, a few minutes pass, and the guy comes back, and he delivers a final blow. After he attacks her that final time, she cries out for help for the last time. And as she cries out for help, one of her neighbors calls 911. When 911 is called, within three minutes, emergency medical services show up as she passed away on her doorstep. This made national headline news. Everybody was wondering, because there was over 30 eyewitnesses. The detectives went through in their investigation. They were asking all of their neighbors, and they were, they were saying, what, 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 what happened? What happened? They were getting the sequence of events. And all the, at the end of the questioning, they'd always ask, why didn't you do something? You know what the overwhelming response was? I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to get involved. You know, I, I think that it, every one of us in this room would get involved. 
Every one of us would do the right thing. But I wonder how are we getting involved with the multitudes all around the world? There are people that are dying and they're spending an eternity in a Christless hell for all of eternity. How are we getting involved in sharing the gospel with them? How are we getting involved in, in telling them about Jesus Christ? We see the multitudes move Jesus. Next, let's see the mission mandated by Jesus. Verse 37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth the laborers into his harvest. See, that word pray there is a continual prayer that we are to do. It's not just when we read this passage and we say, Lord, would you please save the whole world? Amen. You know, that praying there is to pray specifically that God would send more laborers, that God would send more people to all different fields all over the world. That's our responsibility. That's what Christ has commanded us to do, continually to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth more laborers. I love the vivid illustration that Jesus gives in this passage. He basically says that the lost are, like, are, are basically like a, a fields that are white and they're ready to be harvested. If you've ever driven across country, you might have driven through Nebraska or Kansas. And you might have gone through and you just see miles and miles of fields. Has anybody ever been there before? It's like the worst part of your drive when you're going real far. and It's like miles and miles and miles of, of cornfields. Now, I often read this passage and I think about it in our context. I think about a farmer who goes... And he basically has, imagine with me, a farmer has 1,000 acres. And he, put, he, he tills all of these 1,000 acres, and he has a, a huge, vast amount of property. And he, he plants seed, and, and I imagine for a farmer, harvest season is one of the most joyous times of the year. Imagine with me, he's planted all these seeds, and, and God has brought rain, and it's harvest season, and he is excited. All he has to do is reap in the harvest, and then he'll be able to live the rest of the year. He's invested all of his income into this, this crop, this field that's about to, to reap the harvest. And imagine with me, he doesn't have the machinery like we have today. He has to go and find laborers to help him pick out the, the crop. So he goes into town and he starts to ask people, will you help me? And then, oh, you can't, okay. Will you help me? Oh, you can't, okay. And day after day, he's looking for laborers. Day after day, he's going about and he's, he's going into town and he's asking, will you please help me? Will you please help me? Will you please help me? And he gets no no, I'm busy, I'm doing something else, I'm busy. I can almost imagine that, that farmer sitting on a rocking chair at his house, looking over the vast fields, and day after day, he sees the fields start to wither and wither and wither and die. You think about how sad that would be for a farmer, how all of that, all of that potential that was there, and you think about how sad that would be, he couldn't find any help, and it withers and withers and dies. Now imagine what Jesus is telling us. He's saying there are countless billions all over the world. And the only thing separating them from an eternity in hell is someone like you to take the gospel and to preach the gospel to them. The only thing separating them from, from salvation is somebody bringing them the gospel. They've never heard who Jesus is. There are places that don't even know who Jesus, they don't even know Jesus is a person. And the only thing separating them is somebody to go and to preach the gospel to them. Imagine what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that there's countless multitudes all over the world. He said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. But he says that we might not all be able to go, but he commands all of us to pray. He says we are to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest fields. You know, as we started deputation, obviously we're burdened about New York City. We made that one of our prayers. We would pray and we'd say, God, would you send more laborers to New York City? And I remember as we would be praying this, and we'd be praying it, and we'd be praying it, and we didn't see God necessarily answer it right away. But I'll never forget walking out of a meeting one day, and I met a guy, and he came up to me, and he says, you have no idea who I am, but, uh, but I follow you on social media, and we follow you from afar. I just wanted to let you know my wife and I just surrendered. We're going to go to New York City to plant churches. And I just remember my mind instantly went how God had answered that prayer. You know, God will answer your prayer as well. God says that he will answer prayers, and he's giving us this request he just needs us to pray. He needs us to be obedient in prayer. Well, we continue to pray, and, and we heard from another couple that, that are, are lawyers, and they, they feel like God's leading them to New York City. And, and we keep praying and praying, and we heard about another couple that we're friends with. And through the circumstances of the virus, they, they're, they're out of China now. There were missionaries there, and, and God has led them to New York City. And to see how God will answer our prayers if we pray for them. But I wonder, when was the last time you prayed for a city, a country, somewhere you've never even heard of before. You just found it on a map, and you got burdened about it. 
and you begin to pray. You begin to ask God, Lord, would you send somebody to this place? It's amazing how God will answer your prayers. God has requested this prayer. It's his only prayer request in the word of God. He's saying, pray the Lord of the harvest. You might say, there's not much that I can do to get involved. Well, this is step one. All of us can do this. We can all pray that God would send forth more labors. So just to close tonight, we see the the ministry modeled by Jesus. How are you ministering? What are some areas that you are ministering in this local church? I'm sure the pastor would like nothing less than for you to come up after service and say, Pastor, I want to get involved somehow. Can you point me in the right direction? We also see that the, the multitudes move Jesus. How is your compassion? How, how, how does your heart, when you see somebody in a destitute situation, how are you ministering to other people that you see when they're in need? And then finally, are you praying? Are you praying that God would send forth more laborers all over the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful for how you teach us through your word, Lord, how you request, Lord, that, that we are to pray. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to send laborers to New York City, Father. Lord, I pray you'd send more laborers to Oklahoma City, Father, and more, and Lord, all over this area. Lord, I pray that many more souls would come to know you in this, this area. Father, continue to keep your hand upon this church. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, would get involved in ministry. Lord, that we would get involved in sharing the gospel. Lord, I pray that if there's any person here tonight, Lord, that, that feels that their life might be used to share the gospel with other people full-time somewhere in, around the world, Lord, I pray that they would surrender to you and to your will. Lord, I pray that we would all be obedient, Lord, in, in our prayer life. Lord, help us to get a burden for an area. Lord, help us to get a burden for some, a country, Lord, and just to start praying over it and to see you answer that prayer. Lord, thank you for our time together. We love you. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother John. It's a good prayer request. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, pray according to the only prayer request the Lord gave us in His Word is to pray for laborers. But also, don't just pray, but be willing to be the answer to those prayers too. Maybe God would want you. You say, well, I'm retired. doesn't mean God can't call you. I'm just a teenager. Well, God could call you too. And uh, I would love to be a missionary sending church. I don't want to just support others that came out of other churches. I'm thankful for that. But I want to send out people from our church. Um, I think that's a healthy thing. The church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were very involved in the church, probably teaching Sunday school, running a bus route, in charge of visitation, whatever they were doing. Uh, But uh, the Lord called them to go, and uh, that church had the privilege of sending them out. And uh, that's what I want Cornerstone Baptist Church to be, a sending church not just a supporting church, and we are good at that. Uh, We have several missionaries that we are supporting, and we're thankful for all those in our missions family, but I want to be a sending church too. Um, It's not, it's a bittersweet to send out somebody, um, just like the Wagners leaving. Uh, That was a bittersweet thing to do, Um, but we know that the Lord's going to use them there in Arkansas, just as he used them here uh, in Oklahoma. And uh, as I was looking through the, uh, the missions list tonight, um, I noticed that there's no missionaries to more Oklahoma. Because you know what? That's you and I. We're all the missionaries to Oklahoma. And I hope that you're being faithful uh, to be missionaries here at our home, our own Jerusalem. And uh, thankful for those who are willing to go into the uttermost parts of the earth. New York City, (laughs) and all of these other nations that uh, are represented on our missions list. Well, thank you for being here tonight, and I hope the Lord touched your heart. I know he did mine. Uh, That's a great prayer request to add to our prayer list personally. Lord, would you please send laborers, and then you fill in the blank where? Maybe it's your hometown that you came from. Uh, Maybe it's a country that you're burdened about. Maybe you've been hearing about it in the news. Maybe 
that could be your prayer request going forward, that the Lord would send somebody, maybe even somebody in our church, to go uh, and deliver the gospel to those who need it. Well, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Let's all stand together. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Canavans to, to head back to the back table there. Uh, make sure you go by and pick up one of their prayer cards, and uh, they'll be available to answer any questions you may have. But uh, praise the Lord for bringing them here tonight, and uh, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Uh, Jacob, would you mind uh, dismissing us in prayer tonight? Amen. Sure love you. We'll see you Sunday, if not before, missions committee meeting tomorrow night. If you're interested in coming, 630.